Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for today is the gospel lesson that you just heard from Matthew in which Jesus and his disciples go into Gethsemane where he prays and they take a nap. Our theme is prayer, specifically God's invitation and command to be constant in prayer. In keeping with our overall uh, Lenten theme of returning to God, the sermon is entitled, Return to Prayer. I realize that uh, prayer can be a touchy subject, because if we're completely honest, few of us are really very good at prayer. There's always a little twinge of conscience that comes up with any discussion of prayer. We have great intentions, obviously, but a scripture passage such as Paul's encouragement in 1 Thessalonians to rejoice always and pray without ceasing, well, that can make us flinch. We tend to worry more than we should, and we certainly don't do a very good job of praying without ceasing. It's a good bet that your prayer life does not measure up to the ideal of God's word that it sets up and probably falls short of whatever standard you set for yourselves. So if you're a little uncomfortable with this topic, well, that's understandable. I hope by the time that we're done, you will hear know that, uh, that God calls you to, when God calls you to pray, he provides you the means to do so and even fulfills what you are unable to do. In much the same way that Jesus is, our, is the primary actor in our salvation, well, the Holy Spirit is the primary actor in your prayer life. In the Old Testament reading for today, Jacob is returning to Canaan. Having been through the ringer with his father-in-law, Laban, he, now he's, he's nervous about fleeing with, with all the people and the livestock that are rightly his. And he's worried about encountering his twin brother Esau, whom he imagines is angry about the whole stealing the blessing thing. Jacob's world is kind of up in the air. So he has, uh, he has split his whole uh, traveling company into, into two groups, hoping that if Esau and the 400 men traveling with him encounter one, or that if Esau and the 400 men traveling with him encounter one, at least the other camp will be spared. He sends Leah and Rachel and his children and servants ahead, and he is left by himself for the night. What happens next is quite astonishing. A man wrestles with Jacob all night long. Now, apparently it's quite, a, quite a, a wrestling match because neither comes out on top through the whole ordeal. As things unfold, we slowly begin to realize that this is no ordinary wrestling match. Jacob wasn't wrestling just anyone. He's wrestling God himself. More specifically, he was wrestling with God's Son, who would later become incarnate. He was wrestling with Jesus. Now, this is no allegory. This wrestling match certainly happened. And one lesson we can learn from it is that the trials and the temptations that God allows us to bear ultimately are intended not to destroy us, but to build us up and to bless us. I mean, just look at the cross of Christ and you can see how, how God can use suffering to bring about ultimately good. You can also use this event as a metaphor for your prayer life. In a sense, you wrestle with God in your prayers. 
You ask for things that you believe that you need. You, you struggle with the prayers that are not answered as you had hoped. You long for God's clear guiding and directing, and you groan under the weight of the trials that you must endure. But in the end, through your prayers and your wrestling, God changes you. He forms you. He molds you into something more like Jesus. Now, selfishly and, and sinfully, we may perceive our prayers as a time of, of our wrestling with God, but what's what is actually but what is but what if it's actually a time where God is is wrestling with us? A time that He uses to reorient our perspective and our perception. Surprisingly, it seems that the primary actor in your prayer life is not you, but God. One of the things that Jacob says to his foe is, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, this is terrific. This is, in the context of prayer, this would be something like, I won't stop praying until you answer me. And it calls to mind the parable of, of the persistent widow. You know, the one where the widow comes to the, uh, before the unrighteous judge again and again, demanding justice, and he finally gives in. The one Jesus used to emphasize how much greater the blessing is from a God who actually loves you and cares about you. The problem is that most of us don't come to prayer prepared to go toe-to-toe with God all night long. I mean, we don't train to be prayer warriors, most of us, and we're not equipped for that kind of battle. In fact, not only do we generally do a, a pretty poor job of being constant in prayer, we often aren't entirely sure just how to pray. We wonder, what do I say? How can I come before God and and speak with any kind of eloquence? My words fail me. My emotions overwhelm me. I'm, I'm keenly aware of my own shortcomings, and I don't feel like I have any sort of credibility to ask God for anything. We're a lot more like Peter and James and John than we are Jacob and Jesus, falling asleep when we should be praying, dozing off when we should be alert. We don't know what to pray for, and we're not even sure how to pray. And so we don't, at least not as often as we probably should. When you listen to the gospel, I bet you could identify with Peter and the other disciples. I mean, you probably felt a little sheepish that you stumble in your prayer life in much the same way that they did. Well, at least you didn't have Jesus in your face calling you out for your failures. But if you took that reading to heart, you might have felt like our Lord was chastening you. Well, Paul offers the answer, and we need to hear this. Paul says that we don't know what to pray for. We don't really know how to do this prayer thing, but that's okay. Because the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And what the Spirit does, you can be sure he does perfectly. Your prayers may falter, but the Holy Spirit makes up for it. What you cannot do, God does for you. What you are unable to do, God does with ease. Where you fail, God is perfect. Your prayer life 
reflects your faith and your salvation. Because while you falter in your daily life, Jesus has stepped in and made up for it. What you could not do, Jesus did for you. What you were unable to do, Jesus fulfilled. Where you failed, Jesus was perfect. So make the cross of make the cross of Christ your focus, your prayer life. Let it comfort and soothe you as you speak your petitions to a loving God who sent his only son to die for you. Know that your failures do not define you before God. Rather, Jesus' perfection covers all your sins, and you now bear his righteousness. God commands you to pray, but he doesn't leave you alone with it. The command simply brings you to the foot of the cross, where you can look up and see the gospel reality that covers all your shortcomings. Know that your prayers are a means by which God is forming and molding you, and that he will intercede where you fall short. When God calls you to pray, he provides the means to do so, and he even fulfills what you are unable to do. So may that be a comfort and encouragement as you joyfully respond to Jesus' call to return to prayer. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.